when Jesus comes to your wedding, it's a really big deal. And at this wedding at Cana, he does something far more than just honor this couple with his presence. He actually elevates the institution of marriage, that's only a human institution, up to the level of the divine. He, he makes it a sacrament here at Cana. Now, the definition of a sacrament is something that points to and participates in a deeper reality. Something that points to and participates in a deeper reality. So what significance does making marriage a sacrament and not only a human institution mean for marriage itself? We get a hint of this in the first reading. We read, As a young man marries a maiden, so your builder shall marry you. It's Jesus, who is God, who betrothed the church to himself. Christ is the groom, and the church is his bride. So it's this reality that human marriage participates in. The moment Jesus makes it a sacrament, now the love between a man and a woman not only points to the love of Christ for his bride, the church, but also participates in that love and actually makes it present. It's a huge thing. This is why marriage is indissoluble. Indissoluble means that it cannot be dissolved either from the forces inside, the man or the woman, or from the forces outside, because it participates in this deeper reality of the love of Christ in the church. No matter how many times a Christian part of the church may sin, Jesus always takes them back. He never stops loving us. So marriage and its indissolubility comes from this sacramental level. It's just as Christ could never revoke anyone who came to him for healing and forgiveness, so too the man and woman participate in that indissoluble love that's parted only in death. So for a man and woman to make present the love of Christ and his church, this is actually a really powerful grace. Not only does the love of Christ pouring out his life for his bride on the cross show forth in marriage, but when other people, believers or non-believers, witness true Christian marriage, that sacrament shows forth the indefectible love of Christ for his church. So it becomes a sign to the world of how much God loves his people by seeing the love between a man and a woman. In addition, the bond of marriage itself becomes a source of grace. So the Eucharist, for example, the Eucharist, we still have the presence of Jesus's body, blood, soul, and divinity, even after it's been consecrated, though not yet consumed. So what remains in the tabernacle is the true presence. Every sacrament has that middle ground. It's not the grace of union itself, and it's not the appearance of the bread and wine. There's something in the middle. It's the abiding presence of the Eucharist. Every sacrament has this. The sacrament of marriage has this also. It's called the sacramental bond between the man and the woman. And it's so powerful that like the abiding presence in the Eucharist, the sacramental bond itself becomes a source of graces for whatever may come. So it's not like a one-and-done deal, you get married, you have the grace of the sacrament, and that's it. That very bond between the man and the woman becomes a source of all the graces down the road 
whenever there's a challenge to the man and woman, to the bride and, and groom, whenever there's a challenge for anything that may come with children, anything pertaining to the sacrament of marriage, that sacrament, that bond, is a source of grace in and of itself. It's not just something that happens once here at the altar. It continues to be a source of grace for every moment of marriage, every difficulty that may come up. Now, with this great grace, it doesn't mean there's not difficulties, sufferings, or challenges within marriage. In fact, we get an insight to this with the gospel. At Cana, when Mary asks for a miracle, Jesus gives a curious response. He tells her that his hour has not yet come. Now, whenever we hear this word hour, especially in John's gospel, it only has one significance, and that's the passion and death of Christ. The hour always looks forward to Calvary. We hear in John's gospel elsewhere, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, every man to his home, and will leave me alone. Elsewhere, it says in John's gospel, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And again, now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, for this purpose I have come to this hour. These are just three instances, and there's many more, in John's gospel where the hour connects Jesus and what he's saying to the moment of passion and death on the cross. Jesus is connecting Cana and Calvary. He's connecting the reality of the cross to Christian marriage. And he does this with Mary herself. The only two times she appears in John's gospel is at Cana and at the cross. It's the only time Jesus calls her woman, which means really beautiful name going all the way back to Genesis when Adam first lays eyes on Eve. He used the same word woman. It's not pejorative at all. This connection between Cana and Calvary links Christian marriage with the reality of the cross. What this teaches us is that when we're suffering, when we're asked to sacrifice, when marriage is difficult, the sacrament is actually bestowing grace in that very moment. It's when marriage is actually fulfilling its sacramental calling, not falling short. So even in the midst of the very difficulties of marriage, that's exactly when grace is working. Now, suffering entails growth of love in any vocation. We're fallen creatures. We're trying to prepare for the vision of God directly. And we can only do this if we die to ourselves. We lose this self-love. And like any vocation, marriage is one of those callings that allows us to die to ourself, to lay down our life for another, make a sacrifice, and to grow in love. And growing in love is darn painful. It always is. But this is why it's so much easier to be a bachelor. You manage your time, and I, I'm not saying I am a bachelor, I am dedicated in a special way too. But there is something to be said for your own time. You work, but then the rest of your time is your own. You can do whatever you wish. There's no, there's no pressing person that leads you outside of yourself. 
I remember a seminary professor, one of the most amazing men I've ever encountered. He went to college when he was 13. He was just very intelligent, but was the most socially adept person I've encountered also. He would say things like, in marriage, I encounter just what a rotten person I am. I'm thinking, you're one of the most incredible men that I know. How can you say this? And yet marriage, through his dealing with children, through his relationship with his wife, he saw his shortcomings so stark. He realized in a moment where he should be paying full attention to his kids, drawing him out of himself, he was thinking about things at work or other things, not paying attention to the drawing or to the work of art in front of him or whatever small detail the kid might be sharing with him. And he realized, man, I'm a terrible human being. This kid is my vocation. My wife is my vocation. Why am I not able to give them the full attention like I would at work or something else? There's something about a vocation that makes us grow in love and challenges us, makes us sacrifice and be willing to lay down our life for another. That's what this connection between Cana and Calvary means. Not that the Christian vocation is failing when there's a difficult moment in marriage, but rather that's where the grace of the sacrament is most active. There may even be days when you think that the vocation of marriage may be killing you, but there is something meaningful there because Christ's marriage to the church killed him too. The miracle of Cana was the first Passover in his public ministry. Jesus turns water into wine. And it'll take two more Passovers, the third Passover, when he changes that wine into his blood. It's a beautiful analogy. Jesus raises marriage to a level of a sacrament. It's like the changing of water to wine. It's something totally different, something more special. It's not the human institution alone. It's now completely changed from water into wine. But it is through laying down your life in sacrifice, out of love, that brings that final transformation of the wine to blood. Letting God love you through the sacrament of marriage may be one of the most painful things you can do. But when you let God's grace enter in, and transform your actions into love and sacrifice, you become more and more like him. And indeed, the wine of the sacrament becomes the blood of Christ and makes you worthy of the name Christian.